0: The scripture today is from 1st Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 21 hear the word of the Lord therefore prepare your minds for action discipline yourselves set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed like obedient children do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance Instead, as he called you who is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Kathy. And let me uh, also extend a welcome to you as Quinn did a few moments ago. It's a joy to be together those of us who are part of this fellowship and uh, for those of you who are visiting, we're so glad to have you with us. We have been praying for this gathering as we do each week with the intent of asking the Lord that his Holy Spirit would penetrate our defenses, our distracted hearts and minds, our hardened habits, that he would penetrate that with his love and mercy and continue the work of changing us into the ones that he would have us be. And in that hope we gather this morning. How many times a day is this scene played out in households throughout this congregation? Maybe even across the country. A child is being asked to do something. Wash your hands, it's time for dinner. No response. The chef of the evening tries again, with a little bit more urgency. Dinnertime, wash up, still no reply. The third invitation sounds something like this. Charles Allen Poole, did you hear me? I love the sound of my full name endearingly spoken, lovely to the ear, sweetness, I heard that a lot my full name growing up. Did you hear me? What was my mom really saying? She was saying that if you hear me then you will do something about it. You will obey. To hear implies obedience. In fact, the little Greek word from which we derive the word obedience in our text is the word for hearing. And perhaps just like children, Peter is concerned that followers of Jesus Christ connect hearing, hearing the call of Christ through the word of Scripture, through the preached and proclaimed word, connecting hearing To obeying. This is what Jesus meant when he often said, often in the context of telling a parable, let him who has ears to hear, hear. In other words, you will understand this parable if it changes the way you live. We hear a similar theme from the Apostle James in his letter. Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, but rather do what it says. And this is a theme that we have already heard from Peter's little letter back in the second verse of this first chapter. We were chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ. And we'll hear it again before this little letter is over. Jesus, James, and Peter, among others, In slightly different ways are making the same point. Unless the gospel connects with how we live, then we are in trouble. James says that we are living a lie if we refuse to do that. Peter instructs us in the opening words that we just had read for us to be very intentional. Gird up your minds for action, he says. The picture I have is a is a man in first century Palestinian dress, a long one-piece thobe, which he gathers and tucks into his belt so as to allow him freedom of movement at a moment's notice. Get ready, Peter is saying, be disciplined, be alert, prepare for action, don't get caught unaware. The assumption here, of course, is that change does not come easily to any one of us. We need to be attentive to the shape of our lives. Before we knew Jesus Christ, we didn't know better. Peter says, before that we were ignorant. But now we have no excuse. We do know. And we become accountable for living according to what we know. Peter urges us don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Of course, the only way to know what is holy, what is pleasing to God, is by attending to his word, Jesus, and to his word in the scriptures which reveal Jesus to us wrestling with God as we do so engaging with him and not alone but with others together with these people who are seen together to those who are members of this congregation who are bound together by the singular confession Jesus Christ is Lord we say that together It binds us together we count on that in our life together wrestling with God together this is in fact what the word Israel means you remember the story of Jacob wrestling with an angel of God and as a result God changes Jacob's name from Jacob which means he who trips everybody up the deceiver to Israel which means literally wrestling with God. And Jacob's name became the name of his people. And as you wrestle with God, like Jacob, you will find that some things are easier than others. When I first came to faith as a sophomore at university, I came to realize pretty quickly that my language was a problem dishonoring to the God whom I had just professed allegiance to. Like many young men, and increasingly many young women, I was pretty thoughtless about my speech and peppered my sentences with profanity, taking God's name casually, in vain, frequently. But as my eyes opened to the truth of Jesus Christ, I began to realize that words really matter, that words were a gift. So suddenly if I carelessly said, damn, I was aware now that I had a category of hell in which damnation fit. It made me think differently about a word that I had used up to that point most thoughtlessly. Language is actually attached to something real. And so I started paying attention. Because language is the unique privilege for humans to reflect on that reality through our thought and our speech. Words matter. And to conform our speech to what is real is the great gift that human beings have. So I began to pay attention to my language and not just to curse words, but to how I spoke more generally. Was I speaking just to be clever, to be thought of as funny or to draw attention to myself? Or was I instead seeking the good of others in my speech? To build one another up is the way the scripture enjoins us to use our speech. These kinds of questions, I have to say to you, entered my mind for the first time in my whole life. It's embarrassing to admit. But there it is. Some things come easily. Like changing one's speech patterns did for me. But sometimes patterns of life are more difficult to identify. Harder to change then, too. Sometimes we can't see them. They're so deeply ingrained, and we need help. A faithful friend is worth more than gold. Someone who shares your desire to honor Christ, someone you trust to speak the truth lovingly to you. Patterns of jealousy, envy, distrust, habits that we can't see might be very obvious to those around us. In my experience, you need to not only invite somebody to walk with you in a very direct way, but you have to be very direct with them and hold them to it when asking them for this kind of help. Would you tell me if you see something in my life that you think brings dishonor to Jesus Christ? Would you tell me, please, I need you to tell me if you see something in my life that brings dishonor to the gospel and to the Lord that I am trying to follow. You see, we need input from those around us who share our goal of honoring God. It's with the help of others that we are best able to see ourselves most clearly and to pay attention to those places in our lives that need to be changed. Several years ago now, many years ago now, Betsy and I went on a vacation. I don't know what it's like in your household, but usually we have to go on a vacation to have a really rip-roaring argument. Life just doesn't afford time for a really good argument day to day right you're taking care of kids you got to go to work Uh, yeah we can we talk about this tomorrow and or the next day and you just hope it goes away but boy when you're on vacation there is no escape we were in New Hampshire we went to a restaurant the restaurant was closed it was rainy it was gray it was one of those beautiful days in New Hampshire (laughs) and so we were sitting in the car and Betsy said can we talk And everything in me wanted to say, no. (laughs) Three hours later, we had covered some ground. Voices were raised. If you were standing in that parking lot looking at this car, you would have seen the windows gradually steam over. But my wife had mustered the courage to say, after many years in ministry together, I'm not doing so well. And I don't think you're doing well either. Of course, I jumped to agree with her immediately and said, oh, yes, you're right about this. No, not at all. It took three hours. But finally, I did come around and said, yeah, okay, tell me more. And then she said, would you be willing to meet with a couple of couples who we know and trust who are sharing our pilgrimage with Jesus Christ? Can we just share what's going on with us and ask them for their input and their prayer? Well, that was over 10 years ago. We're still meeting with those same two couples. The mission of that group has expanded to include their lives as well. And as I was trying to discern when it was time for me to step away from my long term pastoral call in Durham, those two couples were part of that conversation where we said, what do you see? We don't want to overstay our welcome, but we don't want to leave too soon. So what began in a crisis became a way of life for us. But then of course, there's one other set of challenges that come to us as we seek to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And these are the challenges in scripture that we understand all too well but we don't like we don't agree with we don't understand we're suspicious and we're stubborn and so we want to say well god explain yourself tell us why this is the case and we'll consider it we'll think some more about it but Scripture changes, turns the tables on us. You might know the name Carolyn Ahrens, a writer. She tells this little parable. A man goes into a deli, he orders soup, and then calls the waiter back to the table. The customer says to the waiter, would you taste the soup, please? Well, the waiter says, well, I'd be happy to get you another bowl, sir. Or, no, no, just would you taste the soup? You want me to tell the chef something, says the waiter. No, no, no. Just, would you taste the soup? Well, okay, says the waiter. I'll taste it. Oh, wait. Where's the spoon? Aha, says the customer. Aaron's goes on to explain, sometimes you have to do what's being asked of you before you understand why it's required. Now, some of you are scribbling, so I'm gonna say that again because I think this is worth remembering. Sometimes you have to do what's being asked of you before you understand why it's required. And those of you who have had small children, you understand this, right? We give the classic parental answer when our children badger us for explanation. And the best all-time, in every language of human history, answer we can give to our two-year-old is, because I said so. There's the nod of recognition in the congregation. Sometimes you have to do what's being asked of you before you understand why it's required, because you don't have the capacity to understand. It's like me with math problems. I've never understood. And no amount of explaining is gonna help me see why it's important. When Jesus called those first disciples, he did not explain to them, come with me to a seminar at the local Marriott and I'll explain to you your investment options for your life. He just looked at them and he said two words. Follow me, follow me. That's all he said he said i'd be wasting my breath if i tried to explain to you what is about to happen what is going on what you're going to be a part of you wouldn't believe it anyway the following comes first friends the following comes first that's the scriptural point of view when you are dealing with the God of the universe in his incarnation in Jesus Christ, the following comes first. Obedience precedes understanding. As Psalm 111 says, all who follow God's precepts have a good understanding. And Jesus himself in John 7 says, this, says the same thing. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God. Or as George MacDonald, C.S. Lewis's mentor of the imagination said, obedience is the opener of the eyes. The fact is, the wisdom of a practice or a habit often doesn't come clear until we choose to follow God's way. It might be the wisdom of participating in a church when you don't really want to or forgiving an enemy when it seems impossible. You might not see the wisdom in practicing sexual restraint in a relationship, even though scripture has some pretty clear words about that. You might not not recognize that you're actually stingy and tight-fisted until you follow God's commands to be generous with your time or your money. You see, you don't actually know what has a grip on you until you resist it. In both my wife's and my family lineage, the carnage from alcoholism is atrocious. Countless lives have been lost, damage done one generation to the next. The carnage is unimaginable. And I know I'm not alone in that. Over the course of years of talking to people, occasionally I've had occasion to speak to someone who was came comes to my attention battling an alcoholic addiction or some other kind of addiction, actually. And in one particular case, I remember a good friend of mine. we had been friend for friends for years, but I was beginning to see the slow indications of a deepening dependence on alcohol. And I asked him, how is this affecting your family, your relationship with your kids, your work life, all of which I knew were in the decline? Could it be that you have a problem with alcohol? Oh, no. Absolutely not. Would you stop to see if you can? No need to do that. I don't have a problem. He lost his job, lost his marriage, lost his relationship with his children, and to this day he will tell you that he was not an alcoholic. Friends, when it comes to self-evaluation, we are all masters of fiction writing. When I look in the mirror, I see a younger man, a handsome man, No laughter, please. When I look at a photograph, I go, who is that? It's not me. I have a choice in that moment. Which witness will I believe? The mirror or the photo? The same is true in my relationship with God. God says I have a problem that I don't want to believe is a problem. What shall I do? Which witness shall I attend to? If we don't obey God, if we are hearers of the word and not doers, as James says, we are deceived. And here's what happens, friends. As a result of being hearers but not doers, the gospel itself becomes a dull, irritating nuisance that we eventually dismiss because it is increasingly disconnected from the way that we actually live. Because as the great theologian Humphrey Bogart said in the movie Key Largo, if your head says one thing, but your whole life says something else, your head loses every time. It is the wise person, friends, who recognized this, who recognizes that, that all too human temptation to confuse hearing and doing, and to assume that because I know something, I am something. It is the wise person who hears the call to live accountably, as Peter says, in reverent fear of our holy God. Fear. What is it? It's a word we read every once in a while in Scripture, but it isn't dread or anxiety or the kind of feeling you have when you're watching a horror movie. Rather, it is the appropriate response to a being, to the God of the universe, who is entirely different from us and entirely worthy of our worship. Awe, respect, and yet at the same time, invitation. It is akin to the respect that we we offer as children to loving parents. It is not the fear of a subject before a tyrannical ruler. Indeed, all the language here in this paragraph is of a relationship between children and a loving father who leads us with true judgment and fair dealing. And how do we know this about God? Peter says we know it because of what he's done. He himself, you see, is a doer of the word. He has put love into action at great cost, not holding our disobedience and stubbornness against us, but rather acting on our behalf to restore that which has been broken through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Did you hear what Peter said? You were ransomed from your captivity. You didn't even know you were being held captive. You were bought with a price, not perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. His life for yours, the life of the Son of God given for you so that you in return might be restored to life with God. Friends, that is what it means to live. So the one who asks us to be holy as he is holy is actually the one who knows us better than we know ourselves and who loves us more than we have ever been loved in our lives and if that is true and i imagine that most of us in this room would say we believe that it is then it leaves us with only one question what obstacle remains that keeps you from saying yes to God's invitation to trust and to follow? And who will you invite in to walk with you as you seek to be holy, even as your loving Lord is holy? Let's think about that for a moment as we pray. We hear your invitation, Lord, to follow. You know our reservations, some of which are rooted in doubt some of which are rooted in not understanding. Some of us want control. Follow me, you say. Live my life. It's what you were made for. And we pray again, Lord, as we have prayed already that your Holy Spirit would penetrate our hearts with a strange invitation that would speak to us and invite us not only to hear, but to obey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.